You're listening to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast, episode 35. It's time to look at weight loss in a whole new way. Instead of focusing on calories in, calories out, you'll learn how to use your brain to transform your body and heal your relationship with food. If you're ready to lose your weight for the last time, you're in the right place. Because it's more than what you eat. It's who you are when you're eating. This is the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Here's your host, life and weight loss coach, Dr. Michelle Tupman. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. Last week, we started a conversation on emotional eating, and today we're going to continue that conversation with the amazing Trisha Nelson. In this episode, we're talking about the difference between emotional eating and food addiction, the anatomy of an emotional eater, differentiating between physical and emotional hunger, and steps you can take to end emotional eating now. Trisha is an internationally acclaimed author, transformational speaker, and emotional eating expert. She lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She has spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. Trisha is the author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She's also the host of the popular podcast, The Heal Your Hunger Show, and is a highly regarded speaker. So here it is, the interview with Trisha Nelson. Enjoy. Well, Trisha, welcome to the Mindful Weight Loss Podcast. It is so my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And today we're going to talk all about emotional eating, what it is, why we do it, and steps we can take to start to heal the reasons behind why we do it. So I thought a great place to start is by having you tell us what your journey is with emotional eating and how it led you to start your company, Heal Your Hunger. Yeah. So I, as far back as I can remember, was likely an emotional eater. Um, although, you know, when I first heard those words, I thought, that's not me. I just like food, you know, and that was the beginning and end of it. But when you hear the term emotional eater, you can't unhear it. So what happened is it started to seep into my consciousness and I started to observe my relationship with food and it wasn't normal and it wasn't physical, you know, like I ate way more than I needed physically to eat. I was munching all the time. Um, and I, I gained weight really easily. So I was always struggling with my weight. I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet because I was up and down. I was a yo-yo dieter. I was, uh, 50 pounds overweight at the height of my eating and you know, I would lose 30, then gain 20, then lose 10 then gain 30. So I was really all over the map. And it was really discouraging for me because, you know, every diet you're like, I'm doing it like, here we go. And, you know, you're all excited. And then within two weeks, it gets really hard and you want your food back. And, and this is, I did this over and over. And then I just break out and binge and go back up the scale. So I was really discouraged at a very young age and thought, I can't keep doing this. This isn't healthy. You know, I'm hating my body all the time. I have a lot of shame around my body. And so um, I was very blessed to meet somebody who showed me really a way out. And that had to do with um, healing the underlying causes for sure. And 
that changed everything. And that person had been obese and had overcome it through really uh, lifestyle changes and spirituality and this kind of thing. So I was able to change my life and, um, I worked with him to help others for, uh, several decades. And then I started heal your hunger about five years ago. And, you know, as a way to help people through the online space, you know, I had worked with people in person for years, but, um, I really codified what I had learned and what I do to heal. Cause I'm not cured. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I seem like I am, but it's a day to time for sure. Um, and so I codified what I do on a daily basis to stay healed. Um, and I teach it in a very, you know, easy to learn, you know, bite-sized pieces, so to speak, um, but very practical. So it's very concrete, like this is what you do, you know, and if you're not doing it and you fall off, you know why. And so it just, it kind of takes the guesswork out of it. And I'm, I've been blessed to do that. I wrote my book, uh, about five years ago and started a program online and, I've just never looked back. It's been really such an honor and joy to help people with this, which, you know, I think is so overlooked, the emotional eating. I think it is definitely overlooked in traditional diet culture, right? The, the diet industry is very much focused on what we should eat and when we should eat it and just yeah. doesn't pay any attention to all of the reasons why we got overweight in the first place. And exactly. you said something very interesting to me in there that initially you thought you just liked food. And, you know, this is something that I hear all of the time. And, you know, for women who haven't yet had the opportunity to explore emotional eating, this whole concept of emotional eating is foreign to them. So yeah. can you describe to us what your definition of emotional eating is? If you're an emotional eater, what does that look like? Yeah, well, absolutely. It's, um, it's a very unconscious habit. So it looks like nibbling, snacking, like always roaming. I, I used to roam into the kitchen, open the refrigerator like five times of an evening. Like I just, there's gotta be something that can satisfy me. Like I was always looking for something, always craving some hit, some fix, you know, to change how I felt, you know? So that's really kind of what it is. It's just looking for food to change how I feel. Um, and you don't have to... I mean, it's rarely, I'm going to fix this feeling, you know, like you don't think of it in those terms. You're like, mm, I really want chocolate or, oh, I just want my favorite crackers or cookies or whatever, you know, and it sees these kind of food fetishes that we have and obsessions. But I think when someone starts to dig a little, they can start to see, wow, like I eat way beyond what I need, you know, and I eat too much, you know, so, so emotional eating to me is often eating too much. Um, like you just, you go overboard. Like I always like, I intended to have ice cream and brownies, but not too much, like just enough that I was happy. Eat, watch my favorite TV show show, but I would go over, I'd have more. I just keep going back to the kitchen and filling up and then I'd be stuffed and then I'd be mad at myself. So it's sort of this cycle. You don't have to be a binge eater to be a, an emotional eater. But definitely that's often a part of it where you just, you overshoot the mark, you know, and you feel bad about your choices and then you make resolutions, you know, not to eat that way and to clean things up and you do good for, you know, we have here the good and bad, we do good for a while and then we break out and do bad. So it's like all that black and white thinking, 
all that remorse, you know, and feeling mad about our choices. Um, and then it's not even just eating, but it's the thinking about eating. Like I spent so much time obsessed with food. Like I just obsessed with food and obsessed with my weight. Like I just, I couldn't lose weight for the life of me because I always put the weight back on. So it's always trying to hide my fat and wear black yoga pants and always trying to, you know, figure out a way to not look like I had gained 10 pounds, you know? And so it just was so much noise in my head. So to me, all of that goes along with being an emotional eater. It's just a, it's a whole consuming, you know, uh, relationship with food that people who aren't emotional eaters don't understand. So when you try to explain it to your spouse, you know, they're like, we'll just eat less or exercise more. Or maybe you have a doctor who says that, you know, who do, who's not really clued in. They're like, well, just moderate your sweets. It's like, what, duh, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and I'm always like, do they think we're stupid? Like, like, yes, we've tried that. Like, it's not a new concept for us, but we can't do it, you know? And so that's really, to me, it's the kicker is that, all conventional wisdom out there. It's, it looks good on paper, but, you know, put through the lens of an emotional eater's experience, it doesn't work. It doesn't pan out. So those are some various symptoms of being an emotional eater. If anybody can relate to that. Oh gosh. I think, I think most of our listeners can relate to that (laughs) in one way or another. And I think also if that eat less, move more, axiom were true, we wouldn't have the obesity epidemic that we have in North America right now. Right. So clearly there's more to it than that. And, you know, I remember back when I was in my residency training for emergency medicine, and that was when I first kind of clued into the fact that my relationship to food wasn't normal. I didn't have a definition for it. I just, just knew that something wasn't right. And it's because I would be, you know, on grueling 36 hour call shifts and, you know, patients are sick and, you know, crashing all around me. And all I'm thinking about is like fantasizing about the foods that I'm going to eat as soon as I have a moment to do so. I I would have these very vivid, you know, visualizations of what I was going to eat and how I was going to feel when I ate it. And it was just a total escape for me to even think about food. And then I would inevitably stop on the way home from my shift and buy all this food and then sit and eat it in a mindless way and usually finish it and still not feel satisfied in whatever, you know, I was hoping to get from the food I didn't get. And then I would go get more food and then I would end up in this, oh my God, like what did I just do? And, you know, exactly what you said, vow to do differently tomorrow. And then it was just the same cycle over and over again. And, yeah. you know, I remember, yeah, I remember talking well, to I was a just, colleague. I was just going to say, let me just comment and say, I've had, you know, clients who are doctors and, and nurses, and it just sounds to me like hospitals are some of the unhealthiest places. <laughs> Not only is there tons of garbage to eat at every, you know, in every possible place, you know, you can grab for it, but also there's like, I mean, that's, those are crazy hours and there's no room for self-care. There's no like health consciousness, you know, in the way that people work. 
Absolutely not. There isn't. And it's it's worse when you're a resident and you have no control over your time. But right. even as a practicing physician, there is just this, you know, unspoken culture in our profession that we don't stop to eat, we don't stop to drink water, we don't stop to pee. And it really does um, exacerbate for a lot of us all of the all of the issues that go in into us having a disordered relationship with food for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's pretty ironic. <laughs> oh, it's it, it it it's it's actually a travesty that our yeah. hospitals are like this. It it makes it makes no sense. <laughs> no, you're right there. But I remember when I first realized that you know I I could watch myself engaging in this behavior and and knew something wasn't right. And I I spoke to a colleague, another resident, who said to me, "Well, you know what? You're just a food. You're just a food addict." And so what's the difference between, because I, I took on that label for, for many years, um, but what's, what's the difference in your mind between being a food addict and emotional eating? Yeah. So my, this is, you know, from my experience, uh, personally and professionally is that it's really a spectrum. And I think we're all emotional eaters. I think we all are hardwired to have an emotional connection with food. You know, if you think of, um, breastfeeding a child, I mean, it's a beautiful experience for both the mother and the child. So I think we all can go there. Like we can all overindulge, you know, now and then it's a, it's a common thing. Um, uh, where I think the difference comes in is somebody who does it perpetually and to their detriment. And so it's really, to me, it qualif- it's qualified by two dif- different things. Um, uh, most, I mean, most specifically is control and consequences. So if you think of it as a spectrum with emotional eating on the low end of the spectrum and food addiction addiction on the high end of the spectrum, you know, what qualifies where somebody ends up on that spectrum is can they pull back? Can they course correct? You know, you go on a cruise, you gain five pounds because you have free desserts and wine, you know, and, and you just go to town. You come back, you're like, ugh, my pants are tight. I feel gross. I'm going to jog, you know, extra five miles this week and cut out sugar. And the five pounds are off. You know, that's a course correction. That's somebody with some control. You know, whereas me, you know, where I was on the spectrum was, you know, once I started, I didn't stop. So once I gained five pounds and I'm feeling sick, well, it's like, well, what's the point, you know, and I just keep going and I start hiding, you know, and, um, and then before you know it, five pounds has turned into 10 pounds and it's turned into this whole you know, this, this whole cloud of depression and self-hatred, you know, and embarrassment and shame and all that stuff goes with it. A whole, all the head stuff goes with it. My self-worth, low self-esteem, you know, hiding. Um, and so it, it, and then if you do that long enough, you know, most of my clients and sounds, sounds like yours too, like are older where they've been doing this yo-yo thing for decades you do it long enough, your body's going to say, screw you, you know, and you're going to have joint pain and diabetes and, you know, all kinds of self-esteem issues. And so that's, I mean, that is mounting consequences. So somebody who's on the low end of the spectrum has a lot of control and very few consequences, five pounds from a cruise versus somebody on the high end that has very little control to course correct. You know, they go down that 
dark hole and you never, you know, I heard so many people say I was doing great until the pandemic hit, you know, and then they just, there was a, a year of eating, you know, just a year of eating. So those are people who are more in the food addiction range. Now, these are just labels. They don't really mean a whole lot, except they do help somebody know where they are. I actually have a quiz on my website, you know, a free quiz that you can take to actually know where you are on the spectrum, you know, because obviously if you're in the higher ranges, you're going to need to take more drastic actions, you know, and just moderating isn't going to work for you. You know, somebody who's an emotional eater can't just moderate their sweets, you know, like I couldn't. So the addiction is, it's really the consequences. And, you know, what we do it in spite of the consequences, your doctor says, Oh, you're diabetic, or you're about to be diabetic. You're, you're, you know, pre-diabetic, but you keep eating the same way. Well, that's like, that's classic. That's a classic addict, you know, uh, um, uh, telltale sign is that we do it in spite of, you know, our doctors telling us not to, or, you know, really mounting consequences. But again, these are labels. Um, but, and it's a strange thing to be addicted to, to something you have to do, you know? And so it's like, uh, can that be an addiction? And I think it can, because I certainly had it, you know, and, and it caused a lot of problems in my life. I mean, people don't really even think of how much it affects your life. And I do this, this exercise with people where we, we, we talk about a through Z, all the different ways that this, that emotional eating impacts you. And it's, it's, it, there's no part of your life that isn't impacted by it, you know, not only mentally, physically, spiritually. I mean, it just, it, it will put a pall over everything, you know, when you're feeling bad about your body and bad about your food choices. Like you said before, it is all consuming. It's all consuming. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's when a lot of people, a lot of women reach out to me is that whole consequence piece of things. So um, they've either been told by their doctor or they've been experiencing symptoms that they attribute to their weight, or they've just gotten to the point where they just feel like they have no control in their lives anymore because of their relationship with food. And they come to me and say, but I still can't stop. And that seems to be the tipping point, you know, for a lot of women when they realize there's something else going on here. I I don't need another diet. I need, I need something else. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, you know, we're not stupid. So it's not an, it's not like we're lacking knowledge in what to eat. It's really the follow through being able to do what we know. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're, you're right. We aren't stupid women. In fact, the women listening to this podcast are all extraordinarily intelligent and accomplished women. And so why, why do we as, you know, intelligent, successful women get, get stuck in this habit of emotional eating? What is it about food? Yeah, well, it's definitely, it's not, it can't be fixed at the level of the intellect. And I think that's really important for people to know because we, you know, it, it, it seems like it should be like, I'm going to read a bunch of books and I'm going to, you know, study this and learn about the statistics, you know, and, and boom, that knowledge is going to fix me. And it does not, you know, because we're dealing with, buried emotions. You know, most people who struggle with food and weight chronically have been overeating for a long time. You know, I mean, I, as far back as I can remember was stuffing with food and many emotional eaters also have stuff that, you know, they have dysfunction in their childhoods 
you know, and so there's a lot that we buried at a very young age. And so there's a lot to be unraveled. Like, so I will have some people say, oh, well, I know I eat because, you know, it's because my mom was an alcoholic or my dad was a rager or I was sexually abused. Well, my experience with trauma is it's definitely part of the story of many emotional eaters for sure. But just kind of going to therapy and dealing with that trauma isn't enough because what happens when we have stuff happen as kids is we, 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 um, we become chameleons and we change our personality to adapt to what we're doing. And then those personality traits stick to us. And while they helped us survive as kids, as adults, they backfire on us. So it's really a web of personality traits. I call it the anatomy of the emotional eater. There's 24 personality traits that I've identified um, in my book. And, And this web of personality traits has to be unraveled. You know, you can't just get like get in there and deal with that one thing because that one thing is really turned into many different ways of showing up in the world that have nothing to do with food. You know, one point, you know, case in point is people pleasing. You know, I rarely met an emotional eater that wasn't a people pleaser, you know, and it, that's again, stemming way back when it, it, it behooved us to become people pleasers um, because there was stuff going on. And if you were really adaptable and pliable and, you know, said yes to everything, you, you know, you were going to avoid some danger, you know, some danger, some abuse. So um, it's really, you know, that, that once saved our life, that trait, but then as adults, especially when we had, didn't have a strong sense of ourselves, you know, which I certainly didn't. My, my parents didn't have a strong self-esteem. And so I, you know, I basically got that same sense of myself uh, that they had. And um, I mean, there were good parents, but they didn't have it to give me, you know? And so I was always looking outside of myself for a sense of self-worth, you know, and I would do anything to get it. And so, and, and so when you're running around saying, will you validate me? Will you validate me? What can I do so that you'll validate me? We end up as people pleasers. And the problem with people pleasing is it, we not only burn out our adrenals, you know, like you talked about, (laughs) you know, all that work at the hospital. It's like, that's how you get burned out. You get totally burned out, but you also get really resentful because nobody's ever as pleased as we plan on them being. And we're like, Oh my God, like I did all that work and I get like an offhanded thank you, you know? And so that's the perfect storm for yet another, I deserve it binge. Like nobody appreciates me. I'm going to reward myself. And so that's an example of how a personality trait that has nothing to do with food ostensibly can drive our overeating. And that's really why it's not a food issue. It's really, you know, I often tell people, you know, it's not an eating problem, but really a living problem. And we have to live differently if we're going to eat differently, because there's an absolute causal relationship between how we show up in the world and the choices we make, you know, within relationships, in our jobs and everywhere and the amount of food that we eat. Mm -hmm. So true. And so if a woman has, has, been listening to this podcast episode and thinks that they might be an emotional eater, what are the first steps that they need to take in order to start healing this part of themselves? 
Well, I'd say stop dieting. <laughs> so, Agreed 100%. You know, yep. You know, <laughs> just hang it up. That's not going to work. 98% of all diets fail. That's, you know, we've, 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 our experience shows that that doesn't work, you know, and then really start looking at the living issue. You know, the first thing I would say is look at your schedule. You know, overeaters are overdoers. I mean, we could, we could, really outdo anybody. I mean, we're super busy people and, and it's cause we're running from ourselves. We don't want to be with our feelings, you know, and I somehow made a very subconscious decision as a kid. Like I don't, I got, I got no business feeling feelings like that is not going to work for me. Let me just stay five steps ahead of myself the rest of my life, you know, and when you're running from yourself, you have to keep running, you know, so we're over busy, we're over scheduled you know, we're overcommitted. Um, and that's just not going to fly. If you want to lose weight, it's, it's just creates more stress that you'll stress eat over. So you have to slow down, you know, but you obviously have to deal with what's going on. So, um, but I would say as a first step, you know, take a look at your, look at your schedule. What can you delegate? What can you cut out? Where can you carve out some time, for a morning routine, you know, morning rhythm where you are spending some time in meditation or yoga, stretching, you know, reading the Bible. I mean, what's, what will, you know, really give you some inner, uh, a feeling of inner wellness, you know, because that's vital. You know, if we just pop out of bed and we're on Instagram, on our phones, you know, answering answering everybody's beck and call, you know, we don't, we haven't built any resources from within. I call it putting money in your spiritual bank account. Like you have to make deposits in the first thing in the morning so you can take withdrawals later. Otherwise you're going to be looking for chocolate and coffee and, you know, pot or whatever to, you know, to help, help you get through the day. So it's like, we either have to feed ourselves soul food, um, or we're going to be eating empty calories later. So that's really important. Mm -hmm. So I can think of two objections that (laughs) my clients anyways might give when we suggest that they start, you know, looking at their schedule and finding some some space for them to just be um, with themselves and and filling their soul with other things. And the first thing that's going to come up is, but when I do that, all I think about is food. So do you have any suggestions for what people can do when they're um, stuck in that cycle of constantly obsessing about food, thinking about food? Yeah. Well, I would say first, um, the obsession is a symptom, just like the eating is a symptom, you know, and we think about food for the same express reason is we don't want to be, you know, anytime our head is, you know, somewhere else, it's because of a fear of being. And I will say, you know, you're probably not going to be successful doing this on your own. You know, you have to be coached. You have to be coached. You have to be in community with other emotional eaters, you know, because that's part of the soul food also, you know, being in community. I mean, it's, I felt like a pariah for so long because I was so different around food and I had so many secrets around food and so much shame, you know, and it's like, I had to be around people who did weird things with food like I did. So I realized I wasn't the only one and we're not, you know, there's a gazillion of us out there. And so, um, but community is so, so important because I need to, I, I need, again, I, 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 it's not food I'm hungry for. So when I'm tripping out thinking about food, it's not really food I want. 
I have, I, I am deeply lacking in self-acceptance and self-love in connection, you know, and community. I mean, I had so much loneliness. It didn't matter who I was with. I just had this, my heart ached, you know? And so I've got to have connection. I have to have depth in my life. And I, I find that, um, you know, that happens often when we're with other emotional eaters, when we're all on a healing journey, you got to be with somebody who wants to go there. Um, but it's very, very soul filling. So the obsession with food, you can't run from it. At some point you have to stop and face it. Um, but, but definitely doing it in community with other people is going to be vital. And then dealing with, you know, the emotions and the stress that drive those food, that food obsession, you know, we, we have a lot of stuff we've buried over the years. You know, we've just been packing it down and packing it down and we have to stop and start digging that stuff up. And I don't mean that you have to have 20 years of therapy to get better because that's not my experience. You know, I, I take a lot of the guesswork out of it for people by naming the 24 personality traits that are typical like so typical for emotional eaters, people read that and they're like, oh my God, she's read my mail. Like, how does she know me? You know? Um, but it's because if you've known one of us, you've known us all, like we're so much more alike than we realize. And that's very comforting to realize we're not like some pariah. Like we are, it's, it's just, it's, it's our way of being, you know, when we have stuff that we don't want to see, when we have that conditioning of, I'm going to avoid my feelings at all costs. So um, you know, just knowing that if I'm obsessing about chocolate, you know, it's not about the chocolate, you know, I am, it's just, that's just a habit. It's just a, a habit, a way of being, but we can break that down and dismantle that, um, through many important steps of starting to face ourselves and having really having new tools to deal with stress, you know, which is so, so important and diets don't give us that, but we, we really, you know, we, and, and a lot of like the personality traits I describe, a lot of those create stress. Like we tend to be perfectionists, you know, and we want to do everything right. Well, that creates stress. Like that's, we're like, we're, we're driving ourselves crazy, you know, trying to be perfect again, to get the added girls, and, and that's just not realistic. And so there's a lot of just getting off our own case that has to happen. But again, it's hard to do that without an outside person kind of giving us that, that help. You know, my, my um, mentor used to say, let me block for you. You know, let me get in the way when you're beating yourself to death. You know, let me get in the way and block because you know, you're not your best friend. Like you are not your friend, <laughs> let alone best friend. It's like, you're not, you, you're, you're out to get yourself, you know, like you can't do anything right according to you. So we have to have somebody, an objective person block for us to keep us from beating ourselves to death. Oh, that's, I love, I love that concept. Right. And I think you're right. The idea of community is absolutely essential because I think, a lot of people who struggle with emotional eating feel lonely. I mean, you said you did, right? I know that I, oh, yeah. I certainly have. And mm -hmm. you feel like you have nowhere to turn to talk about what's going on. And you're right. There's a bazillion of us out there who have all been struggling with the same thing. And just knowing that you're not alone on that journey um, brings a lot of healing with it on its own. And then I think there's also, there are so many 
habitual things that we need to be able to put aside to do this work. And sometimes you need an outside person, a coach, um, you know, somebody else on the journey with you to point out when you might be stuck in a habit loop. Right. And it's, it's, I watch this all the time in my clients as well, that they'll be telling me a story about, you know, something that had happened with food or whatnot. And it's, it's clear as day to everyone listening, what's really going on. But to them, it's just what they always do on a Tuesday evening. Right. Right. And so to have somebody there that's able to see, um, you know, what's going on in the, in the bigger picture of things um, can certainly be helpful as well. Um, right. But when I mentioned two objections, you know, that my clients might have, you know, the first one being is like, I can't, I can't step back because I'm all, all I'm going to do is think about food. And the second thing is it hurts. It is not comfortable to spend time with yourself. If you have a lifetime of staying super busy of people pleasing, of trying to be perfect, of, you know, trying, trying to do all of the things to collect all of the degrees, right? If, if if you're like me looking for the, the validation external to themselves to, to feel safe enough to, you know, to sit down and explore what your feelings are actually like is terrifying for so many people. And I think, again, that's just one more reason why community and coaching is so important. Yeah, no question. And that's true. I mean, if you consider the whole reason we eat is so we don't feel, you know, um, obviously the number one nemesis is to feel, (laughs) you know, and so um, that's why, and you, you said a really important word and that's safety. We have to have safety. We have to have a safety zone and creating that exactly through community, you know, and through and through self-care as well. Um, really learning um, to create safety within our bodies, you know, through meditation and prayer, writing, you know, reading spiritual literature. These things can help bring down our stress and help us have more of a feeling that we're okay, you know, and, and in that safety, we can begin to look at things, but yeah, not, not taking that journey alone is really, really critical um, because it's literally the thing we're most afraid to do is to stop and feel. Oh, so true. Right. So true. And I think another challenge that us as emotional eaters face, particularly if we've been on that, on that spectrum for decades is the, the voices from diet culture are so loud in our heads that it's very hard to separate ourselves from that, you know, from all of the shoulds um, or the rules that we think that we're meant to follow. And I agree that it's important to put dieting aside um, as you heal your emotional eating, Um, but to, to even tease out what's dieting (laughs) from what's not dieting, I think in these days is a huge challenge for many of us as well. Yeah, no question. I mean, the only thing I really recommend to people is something I call three meal magic, which is eating three meals with nothing in between. And it's not as much as a diet as it is a way to just have like some time between meals to start to feel like start to feel hunger. I mean, most of us, like the last thing we want to do is feel a hunger pang, you know, like help I'm dying, you know? And so just getting, getting accustomed to feeling a little bit of hunger, moving through it, realizing it's not going to kill us, 
but behind that hunger are emotions that we've never felt before. And so just that little space between meals, I think is helps us grow up our emotions and realize that, Hey, it isn't going to kill us. These are just feelings. And then we know, you know, you, it's hard to deal with it if you can't feel it. Um, and so that's in it. And also just eating three meals with nothing in between is a massive shift for a lot of people who have been, you know, just constantly snacking. So that alone is going to really, um, revolutionize somebody's eating, um, you know, and, and just help somebody see how emotional their eating is. If, if that's really hard to not be going to the refrigerator in between meals, it's like, oh, this is how I've lived for decades is just, you know, a constant stream of eating. You can really start to clue into the fact that, yeah, maybe I am an emotional eater. So I think that's super important as well. Yeah. And I think another advantage of that, I like that, by the way, I teach something similar is um, many people who have been emotional eating for years or decades really can no longer tell easily anyway, the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. Yeah, And so having some space between your meals allows you, allows you the opportunity to really understand what physical hunger feels like. Which yeah. for, for many people, I mean, it was certainly the case for me when I first started this work is I had no idea what it felt like to actually be hungry. I never gave my body the chance exactly. to, feel, to feel it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think if we're to become eaters who eat, you know, on, on a more natural rhythm, that's an essential skill is to, is to understand when your body's telling you you're hungry and separate that out from when another part of you is telling you that you need food for, for emotional reasons. So I think that's another, you know, big bonus of, of not eating in between your meals. Yeah, there's no question. And the boundary helps, you know, um, I could never do intuitive eating because I would intuit I should eat way more than I should. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so though it helped to have a little training wheels on that, on that front. Right. Well, and, and that's, that's a little bit of the struggle with intuitive eating, right. Is I don't think it's designed for people who, um, aren't, aren't in touch with, with their yeah. physical, with their physical bodies and, and understanding their emotional lives as well. No question. So then it's just another thing that we fail at and feel like losers about. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, there's lots of stuff out there that, you know, on paper sounds good, looks good, you know, intermittent fasting, all these things. It's like, there's great science, but you have to filter it through what you know about yourself. And if you're an emotional eater, it's a, it's a different set of rules. You know, it really has to be because this is not, we're not normal eaters, you know, and it doesn't matter how good the science is. We'll use it as a, as a diet hack. You know, we use so many fads as diet hacks, you know, other people are, you know, looking for longevity or this, that, and the other, but for us, it's like, no, give me another quick fix. And of course it's going to fail. And then that just puts us right back in that cycle of feeling bad about ourselves yeah. and away we go again, right? Totally. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been such an illuminating conversation, um, Trisha. Um, before we sign off today, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Um, I would just say don't go it alone and it's not about the food. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> right. Yep. No, it's great. It's great talking to you. And if people want to take the quiz, um, they can find that on my website, which is healyourhunger.com, H-E-A-L, healyourhunger.com. That's kind of a nice place to start. And I do have a podcast as well called the Heal Your Hunger Show. 
And I will definitely put links to your quiz as well as your podcast in my show notes. So listeners know exactly where to find you. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Trisha, thank you so much for sharing all of that amazing insight with us today. If you want to work with Trisha, she hosts a free Facebook group called Heal Your Hunger. And the link for that group is in the show notes for you. She's also got a very helpful quiz on her website, healyourhunger.com, to help you determine if you are an emotional eater or a food addict. She's also got lots of great information to help you if you do happen to be an emotional eater. Now, getting to the root causes of our emotional eating is the foundation of what we do in the Nourish Yourself Body and Mind Coaching Program. So if you'd like to know more about how you can be a part of that, please feel free to book a consult call with me anytime. Just head over to waysahealth.com and click on book a call and we can get you started. All right. I'll see you next week.